Coming up on the Front Page Football Podcast, we've got another Australia Cup-themed pod. And, of course, next weekend is the big one, the big dance, the Australia Cup final, Sydney United taking on MacArthur in a really exciting affair, particularly for Sydney United, the first ever MPL club, of course, to make uh, such an occasion, the Australia Cup final. And MacArthur, of course, their first Australia Cup final as well, and potentially winning their first trophy as as a professional club uh, too. So a lot on the line, uh, a lot at stake, and we are going to get a real insight into the Sydney United side of things from their captain, Adrian Vlastelica, who is going to be joining us at the start of this podcast for a good half an hour or so to break down everything to do with this with this unbelievable cup run from Sydney United. Uh, so great to have Adrian on. And then we're just going to have a brief discussion around MacArthur and, and the significance, I guess, for them and, and their club in making a game like this and potentially uh, coming out with a trophy for Dwight York uh, and, and the start of his stint as coach as well. And, uh, and finally... Of course, uh, at the time of me recording uh, this intro to the podcast, Socceroos did defeat uh, New Zealand uh, 1-0 last night at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Awa Mabil uh, scored the winner. Of course, when we record the podcast, though, that game had not been played yet, so just take that into account when you're listening. But uh, yeah, we are going to talk a little bit about Socceroos at the end, uh, the 31-man squad that was selected. What does it mean for the World Cup coming up? Who could be in? Who could be out? Who's bolters? Who are not? You know, all this sort of talk uh, surrounding that. Of course, Garang Kowal and Jason Cummings, the big inclusions there as well. So a big podcast coming up all around the Australia Cup final and then some talk about the Socceroos. Uh, I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Okay, so welcome back to another Front Page Football Podcast, and tonight I'm joined by our writers Ian Pulzinski, Antonis Pagonis, and Cody Ajada. Boys, how are we going? Thank you. All very well. Very all well. right. Yeah, okay, all good. And uh, we've got a very special guest on with us tonight as well, continuing with our, I guess, Australia Cup-themed podcast, and of course we've got the big one coming up next weekend, uh, sorry, next Friday. Next Friday or Saturday, Adrian? Saturday. Remind me. Saturday. Saturday. My bad. I was right initially. Don't know why I thought it was Friday. Anyway, uh, Adrian Vlastelica from uh, Sydney United is joining us tonight. Uh, the Sydney United captain. Adrian, how are you going? Good, good. Thanks for having me, boys. No worries. And of course, uh, with Adrian's help, we're going to break down uh, this Australia Cup final coming up and this uh, amazing uh, Sydney United run, the first NPL club uh, ever to make the... Uh, Australia Cup final or FFA Cup, Australia Cup final, however you want to look at it. Uh, and uh, really incredible run. And uh, Adrian, we'll just get it started. Uh, we're just talking a little bit off air there before and you're, you're kind of saying, you know, you're still pinching yourself. Just give us, you know, summarize your kind of feeling and, and even the squad's feeling going into arguably, you know, the biggest game for for the club in, in their modern history. Yeah, I think it's a um, massive occasion for not only the club, but, you know, the supporters, us as players, um, and like I said earlier, um, we're all still pinching ourselves um, to what we've done so far. Obviously, first time an NPL team has made the final, so everyone's um, still riding that high, buzzing, like training, like, you know, you think eight weeks after the season's finished, everyone wants to put their feet up, but no, nah, boys are buzzing and just 
ready to go really and then just the excitement you can feel the energy it's just something different like that a cup brings to a team really that's a cup run does so in beating a league um just adds to that yeah and we were talking as well and we were talking about the amount of games you're actually playing this year as well which is kind of unusual for for an npl club too but uh how have yourself and the squad coped with having, you know, being in so many competitions, playing so regularly? I'd imagine there were a whole bunch of weeks that we would have played, you know, two games in a week as well. How have you managed that? Yeah, so I think from, like, the middle part of the season, once the cup comes into it on the Wednesday nights or whatever we played, um, it was pretty much two games a week um, for eight, nine weeks. And we had a fair few injuries at that point. Um, The flu was going around as well. Um, so we had people missing with sickness, injuries. So a lot of young boys um, got to make their debuts for the first team. Um, one young boy is now overseas, uh, Nick Stewart, centre back. I think he played for the Joeys or Young Soccer is one of them. So it was a good, good opportunity for the young talent of the club, again, to get an opportunity to showcase themselves. But I think as a collective, we just we battled and, you know, put our heads to together and just said, we need to make something of this. Obviously, we started poorly in the league, but um, there was a big opportunity in the cup, and I think we, we've t- taken it and made the most of it. And, yeah, massive number of games, but um, boys got back at the right time of the season, and the staff, the fitness staff, our coaches managed our loads and players' loads just to sort of get us ready for the back end, the business end of the season, as you'd say. Um, and as you can see, it's paid off. So, yeah, it's good. And you mentioned um, the uh, the season, obviously starting off poorly and, of course, changing managers as well at the start. Uh, is it kind of strange because you started so poorly, but then really you're going to come out of it with you could potentially crown it as like, you know, one of the most incredible seasons in in, in the club's history. So, like, that's, that's a really crazy kind of uh, one extreme to the other. Yeah, look, it was a disappointing start and, you know, no one ever wants to start like that in the league. And but obviously it was a changing coach. And then we sort of turned our season around from that point. Um, but again, I think most of that's been forgotten with some of the results that have come with the cup, um, you know, not only to beat a league opposition, but to do it twice. Um, and one being the a league champions is it's just massive. It's not, you know, we didn't beat the team that finished bottom in the a league, like they won the comp. So um, that speaks volumes. And then to, people thought, okay, can they do it again? And we've gone and backed it up. So, you know, it's like, it's not like you could say a fluke. It's, it's been done twice now. So, you know, the performances were there, the effort was there and undermanned and we still got the job done. So I think um, as a whole, you can look at the season as a, as a big positive. It's the furthest the club's ever been. Um, we're five times previously, I think the club's been knocked out in the round 16. So making it to the quarterfinals was um, a first for the club. And then, semi-finals are now the only club from the MPL to make a final. It's just massive, massive. Cody, you, you had something you wanted to say, I think, last time. Uh, and I, I was, cut you off. Felt like I a press gonna, conference, that. Yeah. I was going to jump in and say the same, make the same point, actually, with the... Uh, obviously, you had to change your coach mid-season. It wasn't an ideal start to your league campaign. Besides the changing coaches, is there anything else that changed um, within the side... Not necessarily mentality. Were you guys just doing anything different tactically? Um, slightly, yeah. I guess every every coach has their own um, stamp, as you'd like to say, on their on their team. So obviously, we made a few adjustments, not massively, um, 
but things that may have suited us better um, or have worked in the past as well. Um, so I think a few little changes and, again, a few bodies back and with the little adjustments um, from training and also in the game, um, it made a massive difference, not only in the cup, but in the league itself. I think we only ended up losing three games in the league out of our last 12 or something. Um, but I think we well, six points off the finals in the end, but I think the gap we made up from where we were, I think we were five in a row we lost and three of them were at home, which is unheard of since I've been at the club and really unheard of at the club ever. Um, so, yeah, it was massive, just a massive turnaround, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, and um, even you touched on it before about the club's uh, record in the Australia Cup in the modern era, but, I mean, Sydney United, of course, formerly known as Sydney Croatia, have got a lot of history um, in Australian football and, uh, you know, winning the NSL Cup uh, in 1987 was the last time they won a national cup competition. You had, you know, people like Graham Arnold and Robbie Slater in that team as well. As as a, um, a current player, how much are you kind of told about that that history of the club and, and reminded about that by, you know, whether it's other people around the club, uh, maybe loyal supporters, and and how much kind of pride do you take in that uh, representing Sydney United? Uh, I think we're reminded of it every time we walk into the into the ground. Like, you know, <laughs> you see where the club was in the 1980s and then um, what it's become. You know, you still got a, a massive um, stadium that we play in, uh, a brilliant facility that we have, Um one of our change rooms doors has old images of, you know, past players, past victories and things like this and trophies won and whatnot. So every time you walk into our change room, you're reminded of where you are and how privileged we are to be there. Um, and then you come game day and we, we have the best supporters in the league, um, no doubts. Um, so we're playing for not only ourselves and our team, but for them, you know, who love the club and their grandparents and parents of, put hours and hours into making Sydney United what it is through its history. So, and the amount of Socceroos that have come through the club, you know, you can go on for hours about what they've achieved and whatnot. And, you know, most recently you can say Mila Yerinak, uh, the Socceroos captain um, for two World Cups. Like, that's massive. And World Cups before that, you can keep going. You get Chalina, Kalach, Popovich, um, in the name of the days, Arnold, Manus Lamond, obviously not for Australia, but another big player, Robbie Slater. That, um, I'm sure I've missed a few as well. So, But like I said, every session, every time you're there, you know the importance of being there and we're privileged to, to be lucky enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the supporters and the amount of supporters that even travelled up to Brisbane for your game and the ones you fought against, like you said, A-League opposition. That's something that obviously you're opponents in their young history don't have that yet a huge supporter base with our history with a list of extensive accomplishments of the past combank combank stadium west western sydney do you feel like maybe on the day you'll be who the average i guess theater going person is going to support on the day over the franchise i guess yeah, look, obviously we're going to have a massive uh, turnout um, of our fans that day. And not only that, we've got the, obviously the Croatian soccer Sorry, um, Adrian, sorry to cut you off. Is there any indication of kind of how many Sydney United fans at this point, um, potentially? or that's oh, probably, I, yeah. I'd say um, anywhere between, I'd say, eight to 10,000. Mm. I'd take off. <laughs> um, 
like we had, they said three, but I think it was closer to four, four and a half for the last game. Um, adding that the Croatian soccer tournament happens to fall in Sydney this year, which is yeah. in a different city every year. So every Croatian in Australia will be in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> That'll add it. And there's, I think this year's the record. It hasn't been on for two years because of COVID, obviously, but I think there's 60 teams competing this year, um, which is massive. Putting all the people that tour with them, whether you play or not, you just go. It's a massive event. Um, if you guys can get down to any of them, it, it's an awesome weekend. Um, I'm about two yeah. hours away by plane, but um, you know, I'll see if I can. <laughs> yeah, that, don't worry. They'll um, they'll welcome you. So it's no, but I think yeah, like Antonio said, the average supporter, you know, um, the neutral as you'd like to call them, would be backing the underdog. I guess you know the MPL side who, at the end of the day, we are semi-professional um, against you know the full timers. Um, so I'm guessing, you know, if, if they don't mind Sydney United, they'd be backing us to cause the upset, the cup set, as they say. Um, yeah, so that's where I'd go with that. And you mentioned semi-professional level, but most of your squad, such as yourself, has at some point been affiliated with one of these professional clubs. And we see every year it feels like it's getting stronger. And this year, MPL side makes the final Nothing in the draw is rigged. It happens, you beat the champions, you fully earned it. It's closing every year. How important is it that we get that second division running so these players, such as yourself, can get that spotlight, that national spotlight, not once or twice a year, but on a weekly basis? I think it's, I think it's massive for, um, I'd say, Australian football as a whole, for our, um, more for our national team and producing players. Mm-hmm. I think a second division would give... Uh, I wouldn't call myself a youngster, but youngsters, you know, coming through um, an opportunity to play against men more often. And I see that A-League feeder clubs are doing this with their, you know, their youth teams playing in in our competition. But I think if you could get youngsters playing for us, Olympic, whoever it may be, Marconi, I think you then, them playing against men improves everything. And then it connects with the Australian football pyramid, as they they call it. I think back in the 80s, as we touched on before, the players I rattled off in the 90s, it's because they're all young playing at big clubs on the big stage, whether it be Marconi here, Olympic, um, whatnot. But I think it was the importance of promoting the youth and playing against men at a competitive level, um, regardless of if you're at one of the top clubs. You know, um, The smaller clubs would have given opportunities to players as well, which was massive. Uh, I just want to track back to Croatian Tourney for a second. Um, yep. Can't think of the dates off the top of my head, but it's Friday to Sunday, right? Yeah, it actually this year, because it's, uh, it's a bit bigger this year, it's, it kicks off next Thursday. Um, the first games kick off, I think, around lunchtime. Um, and they'll go all afternoon up until the – they call it the opening ceremony, which will be at like six, and then there'll be a couple of games after that, um, which we were meant to play in, but being the host team, but that's out the door. Uh, which is a good thing. <laughs> um, and then all Friday, um, so there's Division 1, Division 2, over 45s, over 35s and a women's competition. So it's massive. Um, and then semifinals on Saturday and maybe a couple of group games if there's extra teams. And all the finals are played on the Sunday. And with that, so obviously the last couple of years for obvious reasons, um, you guys haven't been able to go, go ahead. Because of that, everyone's probably I've, like I've I've grown up I've grown up not down the road from a dental park, yeah. really. Um, 
went to a school with a lot of people with Croatian background. I know they're all at the Croatian tournament every year. Um, considering it hasn't been on for a couple of years, it's already going to be this massive event with you guys now in the Australia Cup. Do you think it's going to even increase that just a little bit more? So maybe yeah. something we're still in two minds about going to it. I'm definitely going to go now. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I know pe- people travelling out from Canberra because um, they're playing in their final on Saturday as well. So I think there's people looking at can they do both. I know people from Newcastle that were going to you know pop in for a tournament day or, or, or two and now, yeah, we're coming to the game. So I think it's just, it's going to be massive. And they've got, you know, as per normal events planned every day. So I think after they've got something planned after the final. So it's just, yeah, I think people want to be there um, to support us because not only are we uh, an MPL side, but we're the Croatian club representing everyone at that tournament. So we're not doing it for ourselves anymore or the Sydney United supporters. I think it's for everyone literally at that tournament we're playing for now. Um, and they'll all be backing us. And I think they'd be buzzing to get down to the game as well, which would be massive. And um, Adrian, just got a question in regards to, like, for example, similar question with the Croatian soccer tournament that's coming up, but also representing the Croatian diaspora. For example, we see, like, on Channel 10, you know, they're showing the highlights of Sydney United or whatnot. But then what is what was the reaction back home when Sydney United won? Is there a big following in Croatia from what you see? Because I saw on Twitter the official Croatian yeah. Football Federation. They shared uh, or they re-quoted uh, the full-time score, congratulating you guys. So I just wanted to ask, what's Sydney United like outside of Australia? Is it, I know you can't generalise everything, but is it followed around football circles? Like do Croatians in Croatia know about this club in Sydney? Yeah, they do. They definitely do. Obviously, there's a lot of us here that have a connection back in Croatia, whether it's, you know, cousins, you know, grandparents or whatever it may be that still live there. And they obviously talk about it. But I think the last couple of weeks has really exploded that onto the next level. Like like you said, the the HNS, which is the Croatian Football Federation, literally made a tweet about us and congratulating us making the final. Like and I'm I just I just when I saw that I literally pinched myself. I'm like they posted about Modric's birthday the day before or something. Now they're writing about us making a final. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. so I think it has exploded. It um, you know, like I said, I did an interview on a radio for a paper newspaper. Um, I know Daniel's done the same. So it's definitely exploded. It, but I think you know back when. Um, a lot was going on back home there. Um, Sydney, Croatia was the forefront of promoting Croatia as a country. Um, so now we're sort of, you know, not to that level, but, you know, put ourselves back on a, on a big stage there. Yeah. And for me, that's the magic of the cup. You know, we use a lot of the times you see they call it the food safari. We just show the food. The Greeks will make this, the Croatians will make that. But is it, how important is it that football recaptures not just the food, but the whole culture, the connection that through one club, a whole country of those people, the diaspora and the people back home are connected. Sometimes they're even knowing it. Everyone's connected through their culture rather than just one part of their culture through football. Yeah, I think it's massive. Like Croatia being obviously not a big country, you know, 4 million people in Croatia. And, you know, I think they say about three to four outside spread around the world. Um, and obviously a decent amount here in Australia. But to connect back home through football and a sport is is obviously massive. You know, like the same thing sort of happened when the World Cup went on in 2018. We felt that connection back home, you know, when Croatia was on that amazing run. So I think 
sport in general brings people together um, and in a Croatian household, uh, football even more so. But um, And like you said, it's more than just the Chavapi or the Slovakia on the, on the – it's about, you know, getting results too, creating an atmosphere and you can speak to neutrals that were at the ground on uh, two weeks ago on Sunday and they loved it, you know. I've seen uh, TikToks and the whole lot, you know. Look at this, look at the fans, the kids running on the field. I know one guy I was speaking to back in the club after is like, oh, my kids just wanted to put Croatian music on and watch soccer for the whole week. Like, it just, these kids then look up to you and go, oh, wow, you know, they loved it. Like, it just brought that excitement to to them. And, you know, and hopefully we, we've planted something in them, whether they go on to be Sydney United players or something bigger or whatever it may be. Uh, I think it's really exciting. Does it mean, um, a little more to you as well being captain and actually leading this team into into the final yeah it's massive like obviously um this is now my third year as captain of the team it's it's a huge honor like you know there's experienced boys in this team that have played at the highest levels and to lead them you know it's a privilege that i don't take for granted and um obviously being croatian as well um it's it's a massive honor um and like i said i've got great boys around me that are experienced boys that they make the job. It's not, it's not a job. It's, they just, you know, they all help and we're a close bunch of boys. So um, we stick together during hard times, good times. So yeah, but like I said, it's a privilege, um, but made easier by the group of boys we've got. Now, a man who you're probably going to come up against in the final, Ahasan Torre, he's been in um, excellent form uh, for MacArthur and he's got a really good record in cup finals. Um having uh, in the 2019 final, uh, having scored uh, twice for Adelaide United. So uh, how do you go about uh, stopping MacArthur and, and, and their attacking threats in particular? Of course, got a new coach uh, and, and that adds, adds to the, I guess, the um, spectacle of this, that Dwight York is uh, in the dugout on the other side as well. So um, how do you go about facing them? Oh, look, we know they're going to be um, tough opposition. They're a quality side. I think they've only... Considered not only their attacks being firing, they've scored countless goals in all their games, but um, defensively they've been quite solid as well. Um, we'll do our homework as we do prior to every game. Um, and we'll work, we've been working on a little bit. Um, obviously, we've got training tomorrow and Friday and then a game on the weekend. So we'll work on um, what we need to do. And then again, leading in next week, um, just continue as we've done for obviously the Western game and um, Brisbane. Um, identify what we think their strong areas are and also where we can hurt them. You know, we, we're going to back ourselves and um, hopefully put on a, a good display. Um, we know they've got dangerous players, not only Toure, as you mentioned, scored in finals. He's, I think he's leading the goals this year as well for them in the cup. Uh, but, you know, they've got Davia, um, Arzani on the other side. Um, I know De Silva didn't play the semi, but, you know, I don't know if he'll be in or out. Um, but whether he is, they got Holman who did it, who scored a good goal as well, um, and obviously Lockie Rose or whoever they else they put up front. So they're going to be dangerous. We know that. Um, but yeah, we'll set up as we have um, been confident in every game, and yeah, and once we get closer, sort out what we need to do. And you mentioned that you beat the two A League sides, um, and the big thing in those games for me was they got frustrated. I think they came in thinking they can play their game and you just did not allow them to play their game and it worked to your favour. And as you mentioned, MacArthur's got two players that get 
it's very hard to press in the Villa and Azani. You press them, it seems like they know their way out, they can squeeze the pass out, do what they need. Is there any particular plan about who is going to mark them or as a team, how you're going to press them, how you're going to force them into errors and to that frustration we've seen Western United and Brisbane suffer under you? Yeah, look, well, like I said, uh, Western United have had numerous quality players and um, a lot of speed as well, um, especially Western United. Yeah, um, Lockie Wales, Connor Payne, um, Dylan Perez, um, Wenzel Halls, all like lightning quick, creativity, forward runs. Um, I think we just kept to our structures that we'll set out to do. Um, we don't, it's not really man marking or anything like that. You know, you just play your, your role and we know if someone comes into your zone or whatever it may be, you know who you have to pick up when or when to pass someone on, whether it's to a midfielder, centre-back, left-back or, you know, we, we don't sort of vary from our, our roles, um, you know, closer to the game. Um, next week, if the, the coach does want something specific, he'll he'll make that clear in our tactical training. But other than that, it's just sort of go about business as he wants us to. Um, so if he wants us to sort of set us up in a way he thinks it's going to be better, that's what we'll do. And um, like in all the games, we've been behind them with We've, um, we've fought back and we've adjusted things when we need to and it's, it's, it's worked well. And as you say, falling back, what do you attribute that resilience to? Because a lot of sides would fall behind to the A-League champions or a much improved Brisbane team and accept it's been a long season, it's been tough, but you guys keep hitting back. What do you attribute that to? I just think it's, it's the group, as I said before, an experience a group of boys with a lot of quality who have played at the highest level. Um, and in situations when it gets tough, they know um, what to do, when to settle the game, when to pick up the pace. Um, you know, do we need to push, force the issue, as you say, or have a breather or, or whatnot? You know, Western United came at us really quick. Um, as I mentioned, they got a lot of quick players. They hit the bar a couple of times in the first half. Daniel made some excellent saves. And then you get close to halftime, you think, okay, we'll get in the nil all and we'll adjust. And they score just before halftime. It threw everything off a little bit. But again, at halftime, we adjusted. We came out in that second half. We were probably the better side um, based on if you watch the game. Um, and then going into extra time, Jamie Young makes a phenomenal save onto the post. Uh, <laughs> and same with Brisbane. Like, you know, we go down 1-0 uh, and then within 10 minutes, we're 1-0. They get a penalty. Daniel individual moments as well. Daniel makes another fantastic penalty save. Um, and then Patrick comes on second half and equalizes first touch. So I think it's a lot of um, individual moments where we've stood out and had to do something. But then as a collective, you still got to be strong in between those moments, which we've done very well as well. And one more for me. How was that winner against Brisbane, that moment of brilliant assist? Where were you and how did you react to that? I was on halfway and I was like, I watched it and I was like, wow, did we just do that? Like, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, if, like I said, if, if Real Madrid or someone else or Barcelona did that, it'd be shown a million times. And it to be fair, it has. Um, it was a class goal. Um, but yeah, like I said, individual quality and team quality, like the build up to that goal was, you know, five, six passes, little bounce combination. And then, you know, you got the individual quality of the little flick and the first time volley over the shoulder. Um, and in those moments, you need that quality. And, and we're lucky enough to have that throughout the team. So, yeah, unbelievable. And uh, Adrian, will your preparation as a team, 
do you change it at all? I mean, I know the stock standard answer is to say, you know, every, you know, <laughs> every game's the same, you know, it won't change, blah, blah. But is there anything in terms of like extra sessions or anything like that? Because obviously it can be maybe more difficult in an NPL environment to cater for that sort of thing when you've got, you know, players working day jobs as well and, and things like that. So how do you, yeah, how do you kind of get around that and, and prepare for something like this? Um, no extra sessions than we'd, norm- we'd normally do or what we've done for, like, obviously, like I said, our season finished last league game eight weeks ago. So um, we haven't done any extra sessions, but, like, we've got a game this weekend um, and between all the other games we've had, you know, two weeks off, so we've played a game. Um, so there's not a, as big of a break. So it just keeps everyone topped up with minutes and whatnot. Um, and in regards to preparation, like, you know, training is still what we'd normally do for the three nights. Um Obviously, tactically and whatever, we might adjust a few things. But I guess it's the occasion that's bigger as well, you know, the media and like things like this, you know. It's not something that we're used to. Um, and I'm get, I like all the boys like that have done little things like this. It is different, uh, but it's enjoyable. I think that's the main thing to come of it all. Like we're enjoying the occasion. Um, it's massive. It may, like, you know, we don't know if something like this ever happens again. So, it, yeah, just enjoy it and, yeah, stick to what we know and hopefully um, – for a good result and um, uh final one from me uh you mentioned daniel there of course he's made so many so many big moments that he's had uh in this run as well uh including um that interview after the brisbane game as well uh, <laughs> you know when you uh when you look at him and how he's going at the moment of course he was uh an a-league club before uh where do you see him maybe um, going in future with his, with his career? Because he seems that he's still got um, definitely some promise about him. Yeah, Daniel's been um, uh, massive for us in this cup run, you know. Um, in moments where we've needed him to, you know, keep us in games or or make big saves, he's done it. Um, and it's been excellent. Like, it, it gives us as a back four, uh, myself, you know, obviously at centre-back, uh, lots of confidence knowing that you've got him behind you, you know, commanding, making big saves in big moments. So um, it's huge for a back four and a team, you know, that you've got someone there, you're like, you know, you're backing um, nine times out of ten, which is massive. Um, and it just gives everyone else confidence to go do what they need to do. And, yeah, I'm sure there'd be clubs um, knocking on, on, on his door after this. And, yeah, hopefully something arises for him. Uh, you spoke earlier about uh, your fans. Obviously, it's as much as it is a massive moment for you guys, it's probably an even bigger moment for the fans of your club. Um, you guys obviously have a strong connection with them. Have you had the chance to talk to maybe any of the older heads in the fan base about how this cup run compares to the some of the moments you've experienced earlier in your history, considering the fact that now you are that semi-professional side going up against the top division sides? Yeah, so, like, we're lucky enough that, you know, obviously we've got the club up there. So, we, you know, after most games we hit up and then obviously the fans have been on the field and whatnot. So, we've been um, talking to everyone and, you know, you'll see people pop in past the club during training and whatnot. Um, I think people are speaking that if, you know, this is one of the, if not the greatest achievement of the club, considering the... um, it's not a level playing field anymore, you know. Back back then, everyone was a pro or whatever, you know, was back then. We're now semi-pro against full-time guys. So it is, it's a different, you know, level altogether, I guess. Um, we go to work, you know, up 5.30 this morning, go to work, work all day and then come home. And like last night, go to training and tomorrow training. But um, 
and these other guys, obviously, they're lucky enough that they're in a full-time professional environment. So I guess beating even beating A-League teams, it's massive. Um, and just to make a final, I think, yeah, look, some say it is, some say it isn't, but I'd say if we, if we do win it, um, it, it probably will go down as um, the, the biggest achievement for the club. They'd be a buzz around the training ground knowing you're on the cusp of history like that for a famous club as well, would they? Oh, yeah. Um, the banter's flying. Like, it's 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 quite relaxed um, this week. Like, as in the vibe, um, training's still, you know, intense as normal and competitive once it gets in. But, you know, in warm-up and prior to training, science, there's a good laugh and everyone's having a buzz around. Um, I think that might change slightly next week. Not to anything bad, but just a bit more final edge nerves i don't know maybe excitement i don't know everyone's different everyone like like i said we've got experienced heads so boys are pretty um calm about it all but yeah we're, we're having a good laugh about it but it, uh it's it's good it's good all right um adrian uh thanks so much for your time um really interesting to uh get an insight into how you guys are feeling ahead of um ahead of this match of course uh next saturday night um macarthur take on sydney united at uh, combat stadium and um yeah uh antonis ian cody anything else you want to add no we're oh, um, it's an oh, audio show to, guys audio show you gotta talk sorry, sorry. i just wanted to ask adrian just in your opinion because you obviously yeah. played against the two a-league sides western united and brisbane raw uh, i know that you advanced to the next stage every time you uh each time you played against them but which game did you think was it's a bit of a Stupid question. Which game do you think was a bit harder? Did you find Western United to be more harder than Brisbane Raw? What did you see yeah, from a tactical that, perspective? It's actually, it's actually a good question. A few people have asked me this, and I'm. Um, I actually think, well, physically, the day so the day later, I actually felt much worse against Western United um, than Brisbane, and obviously, Western United was closer to the end of the season as well. So it's not really a fitness sort of thing. I think they played at a much higher tempo um, and intensity as a whole they moved the ball quicker from those two games I'm like you know if you're speaking directly of that I think they had a little bit more to offer um, creativity wise I think Brisbane were a bit um, direct if that makes sense you know they got the ball to O'Shea who is by the way an unbelievable player can drop a ball on a dime anywhere but I think it became a little bit predictable um, and easy for us as a back four as in, like, he sort of got the ball and looked for the Diags. To, they've got um, quick wingers, which also um, Western have. But I think Western try to play a little bit more in, in front of us and in pockets, which draws you out and, you know, then make runs in behind, which is harder for us as, as a team and a defensive unit. Um, so I'd say Western United had a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brisbane, uh, you know, they still got some new players gelling, like Charlie Austin. He'll, he'll be a handful. He's a good player. He's scored goals his whole career. So if he gets the service he needs, you'd, you'd, you'd trust him to bank 15, you know, I'd say at least this year with the right service. And um, Hen- is it Hall, Henry Hall, their left winger? Yeah, Henry Hall. I, I thought he was um, quite dangerous. Like I'd, I'd not seen too much of him, but he was really direct in the sense that, you know, he, he'd get it out, out right back the whole game. Every time he got the ball, who's just going at him, which is, which was good to see. Like you don't see that um, too often with young Australian kids. Like, I don't know if they lack that confidence, but good to see him. You know, just being direct um, and something like that. But it's it'd be interesting to see where they um, both finish up this year. Uh, 
Western are, you know, solid team and so are Brisbane. So, And Adrian, when you played against the A-League opposition, could you tell just, because as a, from the perspective of a player, could you just tell straight away that there was a difference in the NPL to the A-League level in terms of like maybe playing touches, distribution of the ball? Was it from the, from the first whistle, could you just see straight away big difference between the NPL level and A-League? Yeah. The Western United game, definitely like that's that I'll, I'll like the first three minutes, the ball finally went out. And I was like, all right, I can have a breather. Mm. Like it was just at a tempo. It was a, a warm, not warmish. I think it was like 19, but it hadn't been that warm in weeks. And I was like, we need a drinks break. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were moving the ball quick. And I was like, okay, this, you know, we got to really switch on here because this could be a long afternoon. And uh, Risden had gone to cross one. He hit the bar and I went down. Like this was all in the first minute. And, um, it was a quick tempo. They were moving the ball. They looked really sharp, you know. Um, Brisbane was a bit – and they were pressing us. Brisbane was a bit different. They let us actually – it was interesting. I found it interesting. They let us have the ball um, and keep possession. Like, they didn't really press us. So, like, myself and Yanni, who was playing next to me, could just, you know, when we won it, quite composed and just, you know, bring it up to, to their mid-block or wherever they had set up, and then they'd sort of press us. Um, again, they were sharp, and when they were moving the ball, but I – I th- like I, I said, a lot of people, I think there's a lot of boys in our competition that if they got the opportunity um, to be in a full-time environment, they could succeed as well. Mm. Um, I think it's unfortunate that for a lot of boys that have been there and, you know, maybe missed out on getting that second chance at another club um, or whatnot, you know. Um, we've got someone like Yanni Picardis, for example, has played in the ACL, um, ACL winner. Um you know, played A League, but you know, didn't unfortunately didn't get another club. But someone like that probably deserves another opportunity in the A League. And you got Patrick Antonio who played, you know, at Leeds, Portsmouth, um, and then had a little opportunity at Western United during that COVID season um, where he went down. But I think a lot of these boys, you know, within not just our squad within the NPL, you know, as we we're talking before, the question about how far the gap is, I think. If the right boys had the right opportunity, um, they definitely compete at that level. Uh, and as you guys probably see, you probably watch more of the A-League and different games, you'd see some quality players throughout different MPLs in Australia, like, you know, the Victorian comps, um, really strong as well, as you saw Oakley, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, okay. Uh, we definitely will let you go now, um, Adrian, I think. What I say? All right. I had you on here for about 35 minutes. So, you know, it's not, right. not, not too bad. That's all right. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for your time again. Uh, good luck, of course, for, for the game. Uh, I'm sure we'll be, we will all be watching uh, what is, yeah, just a really historical moment, I think, in the competition as well. Um, so, yeah, thanks for joining us, Adrian. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And um, hope to see you guys one day. No worries. Thank you. And, uh, all right, uh, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, MacArthur. Okay, so MacArthur, uh, we are going to talk about for a little bit now how they are shaping up heading into this Australia Cup final next weekend. And uh, it's really a watershed moment, isn't it, for this club after uh, some controversy last season, particularly over, of course, ticket prices was the main um, sticking point around that and Antonis is uh, already smiling um and <laughs> it's uh it's um yeah they've, they've really kind of turned things around since then and uh you know they're trying to 
improve things, I guess, off pitch as well. But then on the pitch, uh, making uh, their first ever um, final as as a professional uh, club as well is is a big is a big moment. Massive moment. And full credit to Dwight York as well. I know a lot of people had things to say about his appointment. Oh, he's an unproven manager. They're just getting him because he's a big name. A few people uh, ridiculed. MacArthur yeah, that was me. That was me. Yep. <laughs> they ridiculed MacArthur's socials for announcing a manager with a highlights package of him as a player. But I'll tell you what, they're, they're a very fun team to watch. They've got a lot of creative players. And I feel like Dwight York's actually getting the best out of it now. We're actually seeing... It feels like these players aren't on like a leash anymore. Mm-hmm. And no. I'll pick up on what you just said, being on a the leash. They're not being overcoached is what I'm seeing. He understands he's got some brilliant players, Arzani, Davia, Toure. Let them mm-hmm. do their thing. You know, last year it was painful trying to watch them at times too, you know? Just way too like much, way too, way too passive, yeah, way too much possession. Like Craig Craig Moore, yeah. Some of the, one of the better players in the competition being played in wing back, like he's got no business back there. So it's great to see these quality players being led to do their thing for me. And I think what we saw like with York, you could see in the A-League All-Stars against Barcelona, like they, they didn't park the bus. They didn't like, you know, surrender ball possession. They didn't go into tackles aiming for red cards or whatever. They actually were attacking. They scored two goals. They were leading at one stage. Very exciting. I mean, Garen Quall, I know he got the, um, what is it? He's got the best A-League players at his disposals, but you could maybe see a bit of tactics. He's, he likes, he's a manager that wants to go forward. He wants to go aim for goal. doesn't matter who the opposition is. He doesn't want to hold back, sit back. He really wants to push up. Yeah, well, and um, we've I seen think... that, haven't we? They've scored a shit ton of goals um, yeah. in this run as well. And some might suggest that they have played weaker opposition. Um, you know, you look at Modbury, that's a, um, you know, really a third tier team that they were playing um, now actually in in the NPL next season in SA but uh Oakley as well another NPL team uh Magpies Crusaders who I'm not sure if anyone's read but they're they're um having some massive problems uh as well um off the pitch like, too um, so yeah but Christian just looking at the cup run they've been Wellington Phoenix in um in the quarterfinal and then they beat Oakley well, I don't think look I yeah, I agree with that. I agree with, you know, that's a decent win against Wellington, but Wellington do get shafted in this competition because they are a, a team from New Zealand and they can't play a home game, um, which which kind of helps other teams who face them, of course. Mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of that, but <clears throat> as I think uh, Cody, we were just talking about off air, um, you know, they, they have to beat what's in front of them. You know, that's that's as simple as that. And uh, uh, that's, uh, that's, what they, that's what they've done. And uh, they've done it with real style. So, you know, you do have to give them credit for that. And just you go, you go. Oh, just quickly, I just want to touch on uh, one specific player who I think will have a massive season. And I think that's Alpha Santure. Um, I think York, just early signs already. I think York knows what he, what he wants from Alpha Santure and Toure knows what York wants from him as well. So I think, you know, he can go forward. Last season, uh, last season, Alpha Santure was really disappointing. I think he only got two goals and two well, assists. Well, I think, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think I think York will make the most out of him, and I think honestly, um, Alisson Toure is in for a very big season at Macarthur. Yeah, um, I'm really interested to see what happens with Alisson. I think so, and Antonis will talk about this as well. But he was, of course, you know, unbelievably exciting uh, when he first came out, and uh, we're talking about it there with Adrian, of course, in the 2019 final against Melbourne City, he was absolutely phenomenal, and that was his breakout tournament um, that year as well. 
And really for him, it's just been, he just can't get on the pitch. Uh, uh, and, you know, those last couple of years, Adelaide United, it was just injury after injury. And I also think the way Carl Viet was using him positionally was was wrong. Um, Trying to use him at times as number 10 in behind the striker, which just, to be honest, I don't, you know, you have to ask him as well, but I don't think either it just looked like he hadn't played there before. It's, it's just not really, doesn't suit his attributes. You know, he he's a striker. He needs to get in behind defenses. Uh, and, you know, also he needs that freedom of movement as a striker as well. You know, being able to make runs into channels, move into wider areas, you know, roam around the pitch and do that sort of thing. Maybe that's why, you know, Viet maybe thought he could have played as a number 10 in that kind of roaming role. But uh, yeah, it looks like, you know, particularly with, uh, you know, Derbyshire moved on and then, you know, uh, they've kind of been looking for that real nine. They didn't really have it with Urich, um, of course, because of, because of um, you know, uh, vaccine stuff and, and all that sort of thing. So now with Al-Hassan, it's probably that spot is there for, for the taking. And uh, he's definitely staking his claim at the moment. Um, I'll just go in here because at United, he had that huge cup run when he first mm. came in. Then an awful injury that he had that kept him out basically half a year. He came back. He was behind Cassini Yangi at the nine. The Wings had Goodwin and Halloran. There was no really real scope for him to start. No stage. He was even behind his brother, Mohammed. Mm-hmm. So it was the right move for him to look elsewhere. The issue now is, as well, he is a fantastic player, but MacArthur has a lot of quality in the final third that we were talking about before. Alisson wants to play as a winger now. Will he always get a chance to play as a winger? We'll see. I'm not sure. But as you said, I believe he can do the job on the wing or up front. And as long as he gets the opportunity by a coach that backs him, a MacArthur, I reckon he'll be just fine. But yeah, it's the important thing for him, for me, is to be out there on the pitch. That's what he needs right now. And what do, you, uh, what do we think of the... So <clears throat> for Dwight York, winning this trophy would obviously be um, a massive... Uh, achievement, obviously, for the club. But for him, of course, as a manager, it's uh, his first final, of course, as a senior head coach as well, um, which will probably get lost in in all the coverage around City United and stuff. But it's interesting that that's an interesting um, stat, of course, as well. But we've seen this before. I can think of uh, one foreign coach uh, who came out of United. That was Gertan Verbeek. He came in and he won. And he won the... Uh, and Tonis is laughing as well again um, because that... Uh, tenure ended very badly um but oh, it started yeah yeah, we'll yeah i know i know you will seconds. but <laughs> uh, it started really positively uh and and they were terrific that was actually that run that we're talking about of course with with our son uh and the goals he scored and and it looked like everything was good and then mid-season it was just turned to shit and he went out um the other such um example i can think of a coach coming in straight away and winning the australia cup of course is the reigning champions well victory last year uh tony popovich coming in of course a man who's experienced in Australia, but coming in and basically using the tournament as a way to kickstart his tenure. And now um, after really disappointing probably finish to their A-League campaign last year, victory will, will definitely be going all out this year um, for sure. So it's interesting um, when you look at this, is it, you know, is it more beneficial to, to you think it is to kind of start with the trophy straight away or does it maybe... I don't know. Um, how do you how do you describe it? Is it maybe does it come too soon and then the squad becomes maybe demotivated after that? I don't know. Can't really put my finger on it, but it's an interesting kind of dynamic. I think, no. the, way, <laughs> I think the way it's set up as well, 
it's not like you're going halfway through like how Melbourne Victory had it last season where they won they won the cup halfway through the season and then kind of just kept going with it. Maybe there was a bit of complacency that came in, whereas having the final before the season even starts now, hopefully it just means mm. there's more of a positive outlook on their season. They're not looking at it going, oh, yeah, we're almost there. We're doing well. It's okay. Yep, this is finished now. We're starting almost a whole new competition. Mm. It's a chance to start fresh, but still with that bit of um, bit of a boost to your confidence, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'll just go back to what we were saying about Verbeek, who, and I think <laughs> it's very, it's very beneficial, I reckon, sometimes to get an outsider in because someone who's not been involved in Australian football because they see things differently. He came into Adelaide United. Oh, Verbeek, Verbeek certainly saw things differently. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely differently. But you know, he won a trophy. Some of these players, Louis Dorigo, the Toure's, were introduced by him. You know, Lucky Brook was introduced um, or introduced by him, but Carl was the one that really played him. But, you know, that wasn't happening before. His, um, Verbeek's problem was his own character was clashing with the players. But that's despite the fact. One thing that is really, really good with um, York situation is I remember you mentioning after the Modbury game, and I don't feel every club has adopted that. that you spoke, you spoke to him, of course, after that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. So he stressed that it doesn't matter if we're playing second or third division side, you have to earn the right to win. And we're seeing the A-League champions bowing out to a side that's had a poor NPL season. So if you rock up to a game expecting, oh, you know, we'll get the job done here, we're by far the better side, you're going to falter. And I well, think... that's the thing, right? Sorry. Side, they got that right. Yeah. Um, Dwight York probably played under probably the best man manager that anyone's ever seen for, for quite a long time. It's Sir Alex Ferguson. So, you know, he knows how to, he would know from, from being coached by him, those little kind of nuances, those little uh, tricks that you can use to get uh, more out of uh, your players. And I think that's probably something which is interesting when you look at MacArthur, because those two players in particular in Alessandro Torre and the other one I'm thinking of is Daniel Azani, two players who have just had these kind of lull periods in their careers but maybe with his guidance, with his experience, playing in such, you know, at a high level, um, he can give him that guidance as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've say for a while now, we've heard from Adrian, the Sydney United point of view. We've spoken a little bit about MacArthur. What, uh, what are you guys thinking in terms of uh, the result of this one? Because I don't think when we get to this stage um, and you get to a final, I don't think you really can look at it anymore as, uh, you know, the NPL team and the underdogs against the A-League team, particularly if there is going to be 10,000, you know, screaming Croatians at, uh, at Combank Stadium as well. So uh, what are we thinking? We won't look at them as underdogs anymore, but I think MacArthur will be in a position as well where they'll have seen City United are capable of playing against other A-League yeah. sides. So they would have been warned, that's right. They, well, if they're not warned already, I don't know what else is going <laughs> to. Um, but not just that, you mentioned before where Dwight York did play under someone like Sir Alex Ferguson, and Sir Alex Ferguson definitely wouldn't be, would not have been the type to let anyone stand as whether you're playing a second, third, fourth, sixth tier semi-professional on England side. He doesn't matter. You treat all the games the same way. You have the same mentality, like you said before. You got to earn that right to win. And Dwight, if Dwight York can ensure that mentality stays throughout this game, um, look, I'd love to see. And I'd love to see City United mm-hmm. lift the trophy, but. They, MacArthur bring the right mentality, they're definitely going to be a tough side to beat. Yeah. And I guess uh, tactically, you know, uh, MacArthur, we've seen, you know, they're very dynamic going forward. They've got 
really uh, dangerous players in the final third, and they're probably going to look to dominate possession in this game. Would you say, you know, uh, Antonis, would you say that suits Sydney United more? Um, do you think, because we saw against Brisbane, as Adrian was talking about, they had more of the ball, and that looked like it actually suited them, but then against West United, maybe they didn't, and they kind of dug out a result. What's What do you think, or how do you think they would prefer the game to kind of play out? So you mentioned how McCarthy's had a air quotes easy run. There's no easy runs to a final. They had an easier run. Um, Sydney United's run has been anything but. They played the A League champions. They played the rejuvenated Brisbane. So I think they've gone really good. You know, with suffering, bending but not breaking, and then hitting when the moment comes. So you know they've had the preparation for it. But again, McCarthy's a different beast. They've got some. Awesome, awesome players in the final third. Like I was talking, we were talking to Adrian before. Players like Davia and Azani at their best, you mm. can press them with three, four people. They'll find their way out. So for me, the key is to frustrate them, be it some gamesmanship, some professional fouls to break down moves. Not just to break down a specific move, but to make sure you're in their head for the next five, six moves. For me, that's the key to success. Frustrate them. Go in level at halftime or even ahead if you can. And from there, who knows? You know, it's football. You just need one moment, as Adrian said, individual brilliance, be it a goalkeeper making a stunning save or someone putting in the top corner. Who knows? Crazier things have happened. Yeah. Ian, uh, you've been you've been relatively quiet um, oh, throughout this. So I just, just, uh... like, like what Cody said, I, I guess, you know, it'd be nice to see an upset, but just in my opinion, I think MacArthur just, just look really uh, stacked going up top. And, you know, I, as uh, Adrian said, like when he played against Western United, Western United pressed well and they had to really hold back Sydney United, dig deep. And Brisbane Raw didn't do that. I, I do think that MacArthur will be similar to Western, if not, if not even uh, more attacking wise than Sydney United. Look, I, I'd love to see a final, um, <clears throat> an upset in the final because of the fans, obviously, as well, the history of the club. But uh, I just think MacArthur will just prove too too strong on the day. Um, I hope I'm wrong because, uh, you know, it'd be a great fairy tale story. But as I said, like, you know, they've got, I think everyone is shining the way from, you know, MacArthur's attack, Azani, whatnot, Alhassan Terry. But they've got decent midfielders as well. The return of backers who's got experience playing in South Africa. Um, what is it, Charles and Montbois merging uh, youth talent coming out, Jake Coleman as well, exciting midfielder. So they look good around the park other than attack. So I think that, just in my opinion, I think MacArthur win maybe 2-0 or 1-0. Yeah, so <clears throat> the interesting uh, talking point for me around MacArthur, we've just spoken about their attack and, and how stacked it kind of is, is most likely, you know, if they're going to play a back four, then they're probably going to do something like a 4-2-3-1, which means you're going to have a front kind of four with, you know, a three and behind the striker, which kind of limits the number of those, you know, quality attackers that they can really play. So we've seen a bit of Anthony Carter. We've seen Lockie Rose. There's Arzani, Davia, uh, Alessandro Torre. I mean, it's interesting though, because Anthony Carter didn't play in that semifinal against uh, Oakley. We didn't start. And then, you know, they, they scored five goals and looked, looked irresistible um, during the game. So, you know, how do you tell maybe someone like him potentially, you know, he's a new signing. He's just come from overseas to, to get more minutes here that he might be missing out on the final because they want to go with a more dynamic 
attack of of Rose, Torre, Devere, Arzani. Um, you know, what what are our thoughts, I guess, on on how they're gonna line up going forward? I think Dwight's earned the benefit of the doubt to make that call, mm. to be honest, especially where they were at last year and it seemed like a pretty toxic environment. You saw players being subbed off half an hour in the game, triple substitutions, just wild stuff. This guy's Ante Milicic in. just didn't get the memo that you can't play Moody Najar as a left wing back, but that's all right. <laughs> and, you know, Dwight comes in, again, like they probably haven't had the toughest run in the world, but he's ticked every single box right now. He's made the final at the first time of asking. He's got the benefit of the doubt. And someone, say, for example, like Anthony Carter, who's here for minutes, he's new as well. You know, you, you back your coach. Yeah. And the goalkeeper situation is another interesting one, I think, as well, because Nick Suman started the semi. Of course, um, Curto started against Wellington, but then the game before that against Mobbury was Suman. So it seems like, I guess, Suman's been playing against the the, the non-A-League sides, uh, but this is the cup final. So we've seen this with managers before where they'll kind of put the backup keeper, the younger keeper, in the lead-up to a final, but then they'll trust their main guy when it comes to, comes to the decider. Maybe another interesting selection for for Dwight York there. I think the very first game they played against Magpies Crusaders, it was Curtis starting. So I feel like he might just be alternating to see yeah. who will be starting keeper come come the season, probably um, yeah. round one. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't play Curtis though. Curtis, fantastic keeper, good reputation in the A League. Maybe just giving Suman a chance. He's a young keeper. We we'll get to see what he'll do, but big game. I don't and think you can. The Kurt other thing it. with Curtis is. He's had so many concussions. You kind of need a backup plan, to be honest with you, because <laughs> you never know. You know, it's you always need to be ready. And Curtis' record is actually frightening. You know, how many concussions, just in his time in Australia, which has only been a few years. So protecting him when he needs to be protected too, but also making sure you're confident his backup is important. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, so... MacArthur looking good, Sydney United on an unbelievable run. I think it's all kind of coming together for a very interesting uh, decider. Yes, Ian. And just quickly about MacArthur, I do think that it's a much needed, um, or the Australia Cup success is much needed for MacArthur. You know, um, they need some type of trophy or, as I said yeah earlier, success to evolve the club, to grow support in the community because... I went out maybe two, three weeks ago near the area that they're based, um, MacArthur Square, around new housing estates, Campbelltown area. And it's just, it's flat. There's new houses everywhere, new pitches, new parks. It's a whole new development site, basically, southwest Sydney. And, you know, they need to convert these fans, these families into football fans. Hopefully they come in week in, week out. We know that the issue with the membership or the ticket prices, that's a separate issue. But to get that success will help build the club and I think with the new people coming in, interest, um, I think it's got. I think it's just a sleeping giant of football that area, south uh, southwest Sydney. And I think if Macarthur can get some success, be it A League, Australia Cup, uh, it can help grow the uh, club in the area uh, and their identity. Um, and yeah, so I do. I do hope that this, if they do win, that it's like a catalyst for change. And just quickly before we finish up, one thing that really interests me with this new calendar, I guess, that we've got this final now a week before the season started. And coming into this season, rookie coach after a turbulent last season, not many rated MacArthur. 
well, now a week before the season starts, if they're lifting a trophy and everyone's there to see it around Australia, suddenly MacArthur's not the hunters anymore. They are the hunted. You know, how do they respond to that during the season? Because that's an extra pressure now. You know, you know mm. you're no longer that side that's bouncing back. You are the champions that people mark on their calendar along with Western United, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to track back to Ian's point a bit about converting kind of that new developing area into football fans or MacArthur, MacArthur FC fans. Um, I'm not too far from that area as well. And I can tell you now for a fact that it's definitely a football predominant area, whether it's Australian football or not. Probably a different story, but uh, the majority of people there are playing football. I know it used to be a bit of a rugby sort of area, um, but since the Tigers have kind of moved away from there, um, football's definitely starting to take over. But, but you can take an example from another rugby league club. I, for work, I spend a fair bit of time in Penrith and you drive through the main area of Pen- uh, Penrith, particularly where the Panthers club is. There's just flags along random streets, not even like in the precinct of the stadium. You're talking maybe five or ten minute drive away from the stadium and you still got the uh, Panthers flags up. People know who the club is. The club mm. is basically synonymous with the area. And I think MacArthur, if they maybe take an effort to do that and just basically knock on the doorstep, say, hey, we're a, we're a professional football club, in professional sports club in your backyard, come back us. If they do something like that, and like we've, I understand they've got the store, they've got a whole lot of promotion around the MacArthur Square area, but even just going through the general Camptown area, the general Camden area, even going maybe out as far as Wallandilly area, Picton, those sorts of places, if they can start promoting themselves there and almost just kind of, not even knock on people's door to break it down mm. and say, hey, look, we're here. Come come back us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, that up, like, yeah, for, yeah. for you, like, SA guys, just to add some context, like that MacArthur, like the new development, it's just, it's massive in terms of housing infrastructure, transport as well. So, I mean, like how you said, it's just, I think it's like a sleeping giant of just about to evolve. And I think MacArthur do need success in order to build onto something to help grow a fan base. Um, well, it's a, it's a get, case with West United. get the was, community involved. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry to cut you off. It was kind of the case with West United as well, isn't it? Because, you know, we, you, you kind of felt where's this fan base going to come from? And then we got to the to, to the A-League Grand Final and you saw how many there were from, from that area. So you could kind of see, all right, there's potential there. Now, you kind of hope in these scenarios that when you get the success on the pitch, it will deflect from what happens off the pitch. But still with West United, there's that lingering feeling around the stadium and, and people are still maybe frustrated with that. So with MacArthur, you hope from their perspective that should they win this game, should they lift this trophy, it might start to deflect from what happened last season off pitch and they can mm. maybe start to move on, move forward, change whatever needs to be changed and kind of get on with it. And it's I'll finally... add on to that just quickly. Back to what um, Dwight York said, earning the right to win. You also have to earn the right to people's dollars. You know, just because you're at an area yeah. and you're named after it, you can't just expect people to just give you the money. You have to make an actual effort. And just winning a trophy is not an effort. We're in Adelaide. We realized that in 20, 2016. We won a grand final. 50,000 people were here. And the club did not capitalize on it. So it's not mm. just about winning it. It's about making a conscious effort of involving the people after and before you win it. So earn the right to win, but earn the right to their money and their affection too. Well, I think one thing that MacArthur will hopefully have going into the season as well, which is possibly a trophy, but we spoke about how Dwight York's kind of let the leash off these players. 
if they're a really fun side to watch, it's going to get people through the door. You're talking about players like Arzani, right. Davila, De Silva, Toure. That's four players there that if one of them was on a football pitch, I'd be spending money to go watch them. So you're talking four of them. And I'd, I'd, pay, I'd be paying the 50 bucks that they're sometimes asking for. Um, no, I still wouldn't pay 50, but yeah, all right. <laughs> Look, I'm a big fan of players like the Silver and Torres, so I would pay. Um, Twelve-year-olds don't have part-time jobs yet. <laughs> sorry, twelve-year-olds oh, don't have jobs yet. They have to yeah, pay the first fair enough. <laughs> um, I'm speaking like a full-time worker, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, that's, what I'm saying is. People are going to come through the gates to watch players like that. And as long as you make it known, hey, look, come to our games, this is what sport's going to be on offer. That's the sort of things that people are going to want to go watch. Want to, nah, that want to see, people want to see. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we are going to leave it there with the Australia Cup uh, discussion. Uh, of course, that final next week, uh, Saturday, Sydney United, MacArthur, massive game. And uh, yeah, it's uh, hopefully going to be a huge crowd out there at Combank Stadium and potentially to witness, really, either way, they're going to witness history. Uh, Sydney United, if they lose the trophy, it's obviously a massively historical moment. First NPL club to do it. Uh, and if MacArthur do it, it's, um, of course, uh, a massive moment in their history with their first trophy. So, um, yeah, uh, without further ado, uh, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we are going to have a brief discussion about Socceroos and uh, their squad. Uh, selection for the New Zealand friendlies. Okay, so the Socceroos have got a two-game friendly series against New Zealand. Now, by the time this podcast goes up, they would have played that first friendly uh, at Suncorp Stadium. So technically, they've got one game left um, in the series and then in the actual window. But I'm not going to talk so much about the about the series, but more the squad that was selected and, I guess, looking forward how that selection is going to impact the final selection come the World Cup. And, I mean, the two that jump out straight away, of course, they were at the press conference with Graham Arnold for the announcement, uh, are Garan Kowal and uh, Jason Cummings, two uh, of the new inclusions to the squad, both from the Central Coast Mariners. I'll just throw it to you guys. Anyone, uh, give me your thoughts. What are your thoughts on on these two? So I'll just start off with Garan Kowal quickly. Um, look, I, I know that a lot of people want to see him play, obviously, for Australia, he's very exciting, um, you know, very creative as well. And he's played at the A-League level. It's not like he's played two games. But I just feel a, a player who hasn't been even capped for under-17s level or under-20s level or played in like a under-23 Asian Cup, for example, I don't think there's ever been a player or it's very rare that a player who hasn't been capped at a youth level has just gone into the senior team for, with one cap. So I, I just... I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it's very. He's a very exciting player, but maybe there was another player out there that could have yeah, been given um, a chance. I don't. I don't. I don't have a player on the top of my head, but Christian maybe Volpato? there could have been someone. He's, he's out there. Nah, he no no. He's uh he's off. He's having uh espresso well, well, and Bologna know, or something like that. You know, but you know, I finally mentioned it because when I saw this, when I saw Qual was in there, like honestly, the first thing that went in my mind is, wow, the Volpato fans are going to be furious. Well, he's decided yeah. right now. He doesn't. He wants to give Italy a go. Oh, well, yeah. let him enjoy. It. Yeah, you know, whatever. But with going back to Garang, um, what um, Ian said that he, it's not like he's played two games. He's played quite a few, but actually the equivalent is of about two full games. He's played, I think, a total of like 180 minutes yeah. or something like mm. that. So to actually make the squad to get the attention of the national team coach is fantastic. He's not going to the World Cup. 
let's face it. I think this is more of a, okay, let's secure, not officially because it's not an officially sanctioned game. But here's what, so, yeah. you know, yeah, to yeah. get him attached to Australia for future. So you don't get a Volpata situation, I guess. Yeah, but here's where I know what you, I understand what you're saying by like, maybe it's not for the World Cup and it's maybe just a, a kind of trial run to see how he goes and this sort of thing. But Graham Arnold came out recently. I don't know if you guys saw this, but he said that he was really brutal and scathing. And he said that the A-League basically destroys national teams. And he said that, you know, you can't possibly pick A-League players for a squad. Yet this squad has six A-League players. Um, and what was the context of that? What does it mean that the A-League is destroying? Well, he was obviously talking about uh, in reference to how he was going to pick his squad for the World Cup. And now, yes, there's still one more selection until, you know, this isn't the final selection. We know that. But surely if, you know, if you're selecting a squad for the World Cup, you know, in, in a month's time or so, this squad should be looked at as more of a preliminary squad. And you want to have guys in there who are definitely going to be, you know, serious consideration for that final cut. If Garan Kuo is not in consideration for the final cut. Now, I, I, I think he's great, exciting talent. You know, but to be honest, if he's not going to be considered for that final cut, then is there really any point in having him for, for these two games? You get a few extra spots now. In, I said 30, 31 spots that you get. Yeah. And then players like Goodwin, like Carols, like Harry Suter, that will be on the plane to Qatar that are not available right now. That's so a good point. Yep. If you want to give someone like Iran, go for it. Another thing uh, which is really good for Garang as well is getting that cap may make a um, working permit in another country overseas yep. a lot easier as an international league. Maybe at uh, England you know, and Newcastle maybe United. England, maybe at Newcastle United. But who knows, mm. you know, let him have a go. Good on him. It is slightly frustrating, though, when you get so I hope Jason Cummings is actually under considerations. I don't want another mm. Bruno Fornaroli situation that, you know, we'll pick him. Because it's cool, we'll make a story, and then yeah, it will just be a footnote in history. And that was a cool twenty minutes that we brought on a small striker and tried to launch long balls at him aimlessly. Yeah, um, and I I fully agree with the coming selection. I think that was a a good selection. And yeah, I, to be fair, and uh, I know Ian, you're on top of this, but Mystery has actually been playing pretty well uh, in Japan of late. And yeah, you could say, yeah, and yeah, you could say it's second division and this, um, which is you know, very decent point. And you know, Cummings is potentially playing at um, maybe a better level, but definitely on par. It's it's you know, maybe debatable, but um, you know, for me, Cummings is probably in consideration if he does well, uh, over these two friendlies, um, or definitely friendly that's left. Gotta remember that uh, we are recording this podcast, by the way, before the Socceroos play their first friendly, but it's going to go out after they play the first friendly. So I've got to keep that in the back of my mind. But Cummings, if he does impress, uh, um, hopefully, you know, he is in consideration to even start against France. Like, honestly, you know, who who else have we really got when you think about, okay, you got Jamie McLaren, but Arnold's just made a big song and dance around how the A-League is, you know, going to kind of destroy it when it comes to selection and they're not going to be in season enough and they're not going to be ready. So I guess that's going to rule Jamie McLaren out. 
Yeah, Adam Tagas, Cody, you mentioned you. So I've just got the lineup here or the squad list. So we've got. Well, what, um, what, not, 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 to, not, to, not to start something here, but yeah, what about Adam Taggart? I, I don't know. Like, he's our best striker. Uh, yeah, best, haven't we had this conversation for about six years with this guy? I don't, I don't, you know. Yeah, for me, he's still our best striker until I've proven otherwise. And with Jason coming, as much as I rate him, I think the way to use him is with another striker up there to work off someone, which is what worked very well for him at the Central Coast with Marco Urania. So it's about, for me, if you're going to use Cummings, you need to partner Cummings with someone. And for me, Taggart would be someone very good to partner. Does he play both? Does he play both? I don't think he plays, I don't think Cummings is on the plane, in my point of view. I think he knows which Alec place he's going to take. That's my point of view. But Mm. who knows? We'll see. I don't know. I think I feel like I understand he had called the press conference. He's a young player. He's making his debut. People want to talk to him. But for someone like Cummings, I don't feel like Graham Arnold will bring him to a press conference if he wasn't genuinely. Central Coast story, you know. No, no, I still yeah. feel if he's there, he's, he's got to be in the mix at the very I least. Yeah, the I don't know. I don't know. Him talk. I don't know. Like we obviously saw, you know, Grand Koal. We know the Koal brothers. They got fantastic personalities you know they're not afraid of anything as you can see uh and and the joke of course that that Garang made you know where he caught up uh, alu and he was like you know what happened mate and stuff um which i thought was actually pretty pretty funny but um but you could kind of see in that moment as he was kind of talking to the media and stuff and arnold is almost like not in awe of him but i think he kind of he really loves his mentality i think he's he might be looking at players that are kind of like who's got balls here who's going to really like you know we just scraped through qualifying, really, and we're coming up against France and Denmark. Denmark just made semifinals of the Euros. France um, are the reigning world champions, so we're going to need guys who play without fear. So I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, it's 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 kind of just based on a bit of a hunch, but is is that kind of what he's looking for, maybe with his squad as well? My hunch as well is that uh, probably I'm. Most technically gifted player, Tom Rogic, is also facing an uphill battle to make this squad for his own reasons, very different reasons. I and the queen, the queen, Arnold, the queen's death doesn't help Tom Rogic either. Yeah, God save her. Um, for me, um, Graham Arnold hits me like a player, like a person that is loyal and will reward loyalty. No one backed the Socceroos to make the World Cup. He's got a squad of players that just went through such a big experience together and they did the job for him. So I think yeah. he's going to yeah. back the people that got him there. That's who Graham Arnold hits me as as a person. We'll see if he picks someone else, but I think he's already laying the foundation of this is why I didn't bring Jason Cummings or Grant Quote to the World Cup. It's only five, six weeks, guys. What do you want me to do? It's not on me. This is the competition's fault. I'm going to back my guys in. This is what I think. But, or you know, do you think, or you think it's a Mariners PR stunt? I don't think it's a Mariners PR stunt, but you know, it's great that the Mariners are getting that exposure because yeah. they're doing many they, things they that other it. clubs yeah. are not doing. So good on them. They deserve it. And at the end of the day, it's not about the Mariners. It's about these guys that are getting the well-deserved opportunities and good on them. But we'll see. I think it's a bridge too far for the World Cup, but we'll be more than happy to be proven wrong. Speak, speaking of the Mariners getting speaking of Mariners youngsters getting exposure, you can catch uh, Ian's uh, interview with Jacob Farrell uh, now live on frontpagefootball.net. So um, there you go. But uh, Ian, uh, just talking about you, have you got you got something you wanted to say? Oh, I just wanted to mention because you said about Mitch Duke. I, I think definitely mm. Mitch Duke uh, would be a great. I keep saying this, a great sub 
off the bench. A great, like maybe 15, 10 minutes, in my opinion. I, I think Mitch Duke brings a lot of energy to the Socceroos. Against Peru, he started and maybe had one shot that went way off target, but I don't think he was that great uh, starting against Peru. I don't think he's a starter. Whereas I think Mitch Duke definitely is a good 10, 15 minutes, game in the balance. You need a bit of pace. Because Mitch Duke, he's very committed. He'll make a slide tackle. He'll run 30 meters to make a slide tackle. So he's a very committed, driven player. Um, always has an eye for goal. He doesn't, no matter how tall or how strong a defender is, he'll keep going to tackles, aiming for goal. So I think that Mitch Duke would be a great squad player I'm, to have. In the I'm team. just interested in, I'm interested Antonis and Cody because you know, you're pretty adamant around Taggart and stuff. Now, to be honest, I don't, Taggart, you know, I just think we've kind of been down this road before with him. He's had injury issues in recent years. I just, I don't really, I don't really trust him to be honest. Now, I don't really trust Duke to be honest either, even despite his form. Now, because I just don't think we don't really have any good options at all. Um, sorry to be negative, but I just that's that's the brutal truth. But what I'm saying is, is your opinion different towards Duke than it is Taggart? Maybe because he plays in the J League two or, or whatever. No, I just feel like he's a better player. To be completely honest with you, he's probably yeah, more well rounded. Yeah, I'll yeah, give you that. More yeah, more well rounded. But you know, it's. Very important to remember that the last World Cup we went in with Andrew Nabu as our starting striker. Hey, so, he's not too bad until we got a shoulder injury. Uh, he's okay. Not a striker. He's not a striker. So if we can get Adam Taggart on that field, you know, I'll be very, very, very happy. So, you know, it's strikers have not been our thing historically. You know, we've had one or two good ones that we've backed, but it falls pretty thin after that. So it's not just about your forward. And as Ian said, someone that can provide pressure like Duke can add something to your game. But it has to be, you can't just rely on Tim Cahill to have a moment of brilliance anymore. You need to provide chances for these guys. Yeah. Um, and All right. Yeah, yeah, Cody, sorry. Yeah. On this. Yeah. First one, Taggart. Yeah, he's had his injury issues, but last, say, month or two, He's starting to get some minutes again, starting to recover. And you can see he's starting to score goals as well, whether he's coming off the bench starting. He's starting to score goals in the J-League again. It is a higher level to what Duke is playing, as much as Duke is probably, I think it's the best run he's been on in a while, correct me if I'm wrong. But Taggart out now, when he's fully fit, is our best number nine. He's one. If he's fully fit when the World Cup comes, he's got that number nine spot, hands down. I think Antonis, he just touched on it as well, and I've said it on podcasts plenty of times before. We as a country don't know how to use an upper nine. We clearly don't have a direction. Yeah, we've we, we had a big debate about this before, I remember. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, So, we were, yeah, we're kind of sitting there going, oh, beautiful, we've got tag. It is our best number nine. We can play him in. But if we have the same issue of, oh, yeah, we're just going to try and do the same thing, though, with obviously you're going to have the same, you're going to have the same result no matter who's up front. Japan game in Sydney a few months ago where we start with Mitch Duke. And how many Matt Ryan pumps like 20 odd, 30 odd long balls in. Fantastic. It's Mitch Duke. That's what he does. It wasn't a great day out for him. Japan is not this weak side at the back. They're a very, very physical side at the back, which I don't think Arnold expected. But then we sub on two completely different number nines in Jamie McLaren, in Bruno Fornaroli. And we play the same way. That's what I mean. You, like, it doesn't matter who we're playing up front. We're going to do the same thing. You're, you're, uh, you're subbing on a fish and you're asking it to climb a tree. You know, it doesn't work. I'm sorry. It's, 
It's probably one of the best thing. analogies I've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> wow. You're subbing I'm on a fish and wrong. asking it to climb a tree. Get quite that, someone. <laughs> Put that on Twitter. Anyway. It's not wrong, but and the the only way we're going to fix that number nine situation, it's not going to happen by who we bring on the field. It's going to happen, it's going to happen on the training pitch. It's going to come from Graham Arnold's head going, oh, okay, this hasn't worked so far. Let's try something different. And, Until that and, happens, we're going to have the same issue no matter who. As a country, as a coach, how do you want to play? You want to play a specific way? Play players that aid to that specific way. Don't just bring in a player because he does this or does that. If you want to be a side that plays the feet, bring someone that plays the feet. If you want to be a long ball crossing side, bring someone that can do that. But do not get players in. Don't put players into the situation where they're automatically going to fail because they're a puzzle piece that doesn't fit there in the puzzle you're trying to make. See, I, I think like we said, like the long kicks against Japan, like that doesn't work when you start. I think last 10 minutes, you're losing whatever, a long ball, last 15 minutes, that thing could pull off with Mitch Duke, you know, using his quick pace and his eye for goal. I think that sort of, those desperation moments, I think Mitch Duke is much better at. Um, I, he doesn't start. Play, I just don't want to see Mitch Duke start. I'd love to see him in the squad. As I said, last 10, 20 minutes. If we're trailing or we need a bit of energy in the team up top, I think he's a really good option there. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I would say is, and we've seen this before, we've actually seen it, I've seen it uh, at the moment anyway with England. Um, Calvin Phillips has picked up an injury for them. He usually starts in the midfield and now there's a whole thing around who's going to be their midfielder come the World Cup and, you know, how the English media is now it's going to dominate their headlines for a week. But the thing with Australia then reflecting with them is in the case of a major injury, whoever that may be, uh, let's say for whatever reason, Aaron Moy picks up an injury or Trent says, whoever it is, uh, do we have, you know, the depth who can come in for, for those players if need be? Um, so I've just got the list of players that featured in the previous squads yeah. in, in the midfield. So we've got uh, just off Wikipedia, Craig Goodwin, Kenny Dougal, Johnny Stensness, Tom Rogic, James Jago, uh, Ben Falami and Brendan Borello. So a few of them are wingers, sorry. Um, but you've got here in midfield, you've got Kenny Dougal, who plays every week for Blackpool in the championship. Every week. You know, very fit player, uh, defensive midfielder. Then you've got uh, Johnny Stenstis, who's injured. Tom Rogic, we still don't know how's he going to play, how many minutes is he going to feature for West Bromwich Albion. And then we've got James Jago, who's just coming back off the injury, playing for Open in the uh, Belgian Open, so, open. Uh, open, sorry. <laughs> open. Sorry, that's the first time. Have I just got... Something wrong pronunciation now, Jason. Coburn. Coburn. Um, oh, yeah. Coburn, no, yeah. no, they started. <laughs> but um, so those midfield options, as I said, the depth, Dougal, Tom Rogic, and Jimmy yeah. Jago. Yeah. yeah. My point of view is the only place in this team that I feel has got enough depth to be not concerned with is the midfield and goalkeeper. An injury yeah. or a knock or a suspension to any other part of the team and I'm worried but in the midfield you've got enough quality for me to still have a functioning midfield and in goalkeeper you've got Matt Ryan you've got Mitch Langerak Speak, speaking of that Danny great Bukovic. to see sorry great yeah, to oh. see Mitch Langerak finally rewarded yeah. um, for mm. what has been he's been unbelievable in Japan mm. for so many years now uh, and he 100% deserves that yeah mm. and then Arthur you've got Danny Vukovic who's a great keeper in his own right and then I guess you have to take Henry Redman to the World Cup, don't you? 
I'm not Have sure to. if anyone saw Andrew Redman come out and say, oh. peruse off my bucket list. <laughs> He's going to get killed. <laughs> he will literally get killed. Seriously. No, but seriously, those, like, I'm not sure you, know, you guys He's probably heard about that nation. No, but I'm sure you guys have heard about the story of um, Pablo Escobar in Colombia when he scored an own goal in the World Cup and he Mm -hmm. went home and and he actually got murdered. Um, So, I mean, these guys, they they kill their own, let alone alone, uh, Andrew (laughs) Redman walking in there. Uh, But I don't know. Like, they're they're genuinely broken. They're, like, at the acceptance stage. They're they're doing bullfighting and they've got Andrew Redman looking like some Socceroos kids getting... It's like like Arsenal fans three years ago in tennis, isn't it? (laughs) talk about these people <laughs> this is good times now don't talk to me about the past um guys can I just say, I, i've just had a quick look at like obviously i'm just on wikipedia quickly and having a look at players that have played in the past i think two players i just see in defenders that have missed out i think maybe arnold could have picked them are uh, is um jason davidson who's playing week in week out in belgium and uh Callum elder Surprisingly, uh, didn't get a call up, and he's been playing quite often for Hull uh, in the second tier of England. Um, so I think maybe those two players were a little bit hard done by. Um, and Kenny Dougal as well. Mm-hmm. He pro- again, the, this, this is a squad, but I just feel like they maybe a little bit hard done by. And Kenny Dougal playing every week for Blackpool uh, in the Championship. Is there anyone else? Um, Another no one, one that hasn't made a recent appearance as well. Could definitely, definitely do a job, and he's just got a club too. Mas Luongo, you know, another midfielder mm. that could yep. do an absolute job, which he won't this World Cup cycle. But you know, midfield, if if half these people could play fullback, <laughs> we'd be set. You know, like we've got yeah. such an overload of midfielders, of quality midfielders, and you can only play two to three. I mean, uh, just quickly, Antonis. Having a look at the midfield, there's five players in the Socceroos team that just got caught up against New Zealand who have had less than five caps. So Keanu Backus, Cam Devlin, Tyrese Francois, Dennis Jonru. Francois is an interesting one. I'm assuming that's purely based on under-23 performance because he hasn't played much football at a senior level. Fulham's just started Mm. trusting him with prem minutes. Nothing big, but coming off the bench. You know, like... I know you're a big. You must play every second of the game. <laughs> I didn't say. I didn't say that. All right. I am. I am. I, am, I, tell, I tell you what. I am. I am over the moon that Adrian Hrustic is now oh, uh, in Italy, and uh, it looks like he's going to be starting. Um, but I just my my theory is always like this, and I think it's a very commonly accepted theory that if you're playing week in week out for your club and you're doing well, you're going to come into a national team environment a lot more high in confidence and a lot more ready to play than someone who isn't. It's just. Well, um, Francois just Francois just moved to Croatia oh, okay. first tier, and he's, that, that's, he's that's right. He started like uh, he started the yeah. last two games, and he's yeah. getting some minutes there. So, well, that that's good. Obviously, if that continues on that path, then then uh, that's that's obviously uh, again, an understandable selection. Yeah, I think it's just once again a bridge too far in this World Cup when you've got Riley McGrees, Conor Metcalf start trying to make the team. Rogic, who might even miss out, etc., etc., etc. But that's the interesting about Rogic, right? Sorry, just, sorry, Ian. Just quickly, just on like the number ten situation. So you've got probably three guys here who are maybe staking their claim for that position: Frustich, McGree, and Rogic. Right now, mm-hmm. Rogic has question marks over whether he's going to have enough game time and enough minutes in his legs. Frustich has moved to a new club where he still might be in a position where he has to fight for minutes. Hopefully not. But he he's might have play. to. Krustic is one of the first players on our team sheet. 
But McGree, McGree's playing very, very well in tennis for Middlesbrough. Oh, I mean, oh, oh, very play well. McGree. Trust me, I play McGree. You're preaching to the choir here. Oh, seriously, man. Like, I, I, I think he's fantastic. Like, oh, right. I, but yeah. I think Christich is our most technical player. Just, yeah. Oh, actually, oh, Moy. No, I agree. Yeah. Christich uh, in terms of going forward, like maybe shots, volleys and all that, set pieces. Moy just... Set pieces are important, to be fair. They will be important for yeah. Australia coming up against yeah, France yeah. and Denmark and stuff. Definitely. So, yeah. You want All that right. good delivery. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cody, anything you want to add? Um, if you're talking about players that should feel hard done by, one person that's not going to come up on any list of recent players would be Alex Grant. He's oh. playing week in, week out in South Korea in an Asian Championship yeah. final. What was it? One, probably 12 yeah. months ago now. Yeah. And it's probably more coming to light because Harrison Dolbridge did get in over him. Yes. And look, not going to trash on um, Dolbridge. He's been playing well as well, but... If you're going to pick a South Korean center back, well, mm. center back based in South Korea, one probably is doing better than the other. So, question should be question marks around there. And I think Alex Green's brother came out on Twitter, basically <laughs> slamming it, saying, "What more does Alex need to do to get in the squad?" And I think a few people will be saying that. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's a very fair point. Very fair well, point. Um, speaking of players that came out, uh, so do you know? I don't know how to pronounce his uh, surname. Joanne Fuoco, who. Um, Plays in Malaysia. Galifuoco, um, yeah. Galifuoco, sorry, Galifuoco. And he's like, he's got the a screenshot of the T-ranking club football, the Asian one, and because he plays in Malaysia, and I think Malaysia is maybe 11th or something, and Australia is well, to be 15th. No and he's offense, like, oh, yeah. so why can't, why can't I get played, like... Why, why am I getting ignored, in other words, like along well, those think, lines? No, to be fair, I think Galifuoco has done very well in Malaysia, but the other guy who's done very well in Malaysia, who's probably slightly ahead of him, is Shane Lowry, another ex-Perth yeah. centre-back, um, funnily enough as well. So I don't know if you're a, a Perth centre-back, um, you know, maybe uh, think about, maybe if you're like Daryl Lashman, maybe you should just start thinking now about moving to like Malaysia or something. <laughs> I just want Harry Shout to suit back. Yeah. Remember Shane Lowry, he's done it in the Champions League as well. His um club went on a nice little run there too. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. So um, I think they got knocked out um by Urua, um, and they yeah. pretty heavy defeat. Well, but yeah, um, they, they, did, they knocked off a lot of big clubs in the group. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, yeah, a couple of guys there. Um, I think I do think that's always interesting. Um, because I mean, I think all of us here we try and stay on top of all the Australians overseas and what they're doing. But I think the general public. When these squads are announced, I'm sure a lot of people, unless they watched the under 23 Asian Cup, would have been who the who the fuck's Tyrese Francois, for example, right? So yeah. um I'm yeah. sure kids playing FIFA would go, Oh yeah, he's in an EPL squad. Yeah. That'll be it. <laughs> yeah. So um, um it's uh, important, important for these reasons to stay on top of why uh, what these guys are doing overseas. Yeah, Ian. Um one thing I'll just point out, like one player who I just think fully did like what you said, sorry, with the Mitch Langrak, how he's done well in Japan and it's good to see him back. I think it's really good to see Thomas Deng back. Absolutely. I think, I think that, that's interesting. And I, I think he's performed for his club so well since coming back. He started in a lot of games, kept a lot of clean sheets. I haven't seen him play, obviously, but just going from statistics-wise and yeah. performance, it, it just looks... I mean, he looks like he's getting fit. He's getting in a good condition after a shocking injury or, and a lengthy spell on the sidelines. And also, Fred Karacic, like, it'll be good to see both of them competing for that starting spot in France because as well as friend characters is playing high level, you know, second division, Ryan Strain. in my opinion. Is the other yeah, one. Ryan Strain as well. So there's a lot of competition that's really interesting in, in squad depth uh, at the moment. So I, I love it because, you know, 
you want Aussies to be shining for their clubs week in, week out. And yeah, as well, Christian. You know, I think the- well, I think me and Antonis just want um Goodwin, McGree, and Strain to all start so we can brag about how many SA players are in the, I just want Goodwin in time for this. I'm getting stressed yeah, out. Mm. Mm. And just lastly, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm very passionate about Aussies abroad, but one disappointing player definitely that's just fallen off really and is in the squad is Abel Mobile, unfortunately. Yeah, I was just about to mention Awa, yeah. He was, yeah. yeah. I don't know what happened there. He was trying to force a move out right mm. at the end and he got frozen. I mean, out. that was, yeah, that was bizarre. bizarre. Like, remember they did the press conference yeah, here in Adelaide um, as well announcing it and it seemed like Cadiz were kind of treating it as a big deal as well, but yeah. now it's so I don't know what's happened there. Maybe something's happened with the manager, um, who, who suddenly is taking a dislike to him. But I mean, for Awa, I guess he might have to reinvent, reinvent himself and his role in this team come the World Cup to be more of a bench option and, and provide an impact. I guess that's mm. because it just doesn't look like he's going to have the minutes or the you know the CV really to um and the form to um to stake his claim for a starting spot. Play Marco Tilio. Please. One thing I want to point out, actually. I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. I don't know. Look, I, uh, I want Melbourne City to play him first. Yeah. 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 Oh. oh, man. Are we, think do we think, do we, by the way, just while we're here, I know it's kind of off topic from what we're talking about, but is uh, hopefully, what's his name? Um, Valon Barisha is not going to become another um, uh, Piccarelli, uh, Piccarelli guy that signed last year and he just doesn't play a freaking game and then leaves oh no I reckon that's a gem signing by the way what Melbourne City has. oh I think I, so it I, is as well he's yeah. pretty unbelievable to be fair but um, yeah. yeah anyway off topic any uh, any last thoughts on the Socceroos guys before we, uh, before we finish up one thing um, the amount of names that we've just rattled off I lost track of how many we ended up going through but when was the last time we were going into World Cup going oh, okay we've got this this this, this and these options just in one position then we're going on to another one Got another list of four or five players we're talking about, and we're still talking about oh, there's some areas of the football we don't have a lot of depth in, but we could still name probably three or four options in there. But it's been—I remember coming to the 2018 World Cup, and it might have just been a thing of Van Marwijk didn't trust who we had with him, but we could barely name 15 or 16 players that were good enough to step on the field in the World mm-hmm. Cup, and now we're looking 30 plus players are in the mix. It's testament to some, mainly the young guys that are coming through. Um, I think, Olympics, yeah, I think. We've arguably got more um, depth in you know across the board, but has that depth maybe reduced slightly in quality um, to what it been what it has I been say before? Quality, probably oh, yeah. star quality. Like we don't have a say Tim Cahill kind of leading the line. Yeah, but we've got a lot of players where if one's missing, we can put we can put someone in that is the same quality. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I think yeah. yeah, we're still in kind of transition. You know, we yeah. don't have these people. Very few of these players are in the latter part of their career. Most of them are, you know, a move away from the next big move that they might get that star quality or that star power. And it's just about these players making the right moves, moves that will work out for them in the future. And then they will become mainstays of that side and veterans of that side that these young players can learn off. It's just in transition at the moment. And think about we're going into the 2020 Cup. We're talking, we've got this depth now and there are a lot of young players we go to the next one. Harry Sudar is going to be four years older. We have Michael Tillio, Keanu Backus, Cam, uh, Devlin, Jean Rowe, Metcalf. We're all going to improve in that time. It's By the way, you mentioned Devlin there. I don't know if anyone, I, I was watching it a couple of nights ago. I saw his assist in the Conference League. Um, not sure if anyone saw that uh, recently in Hart's uh, second group game, but uh, yeah, it was a very nice assist uh, to round out the game. 
Well, I'm surprised but, um, we haven't talked much about Devlin tonight. Actually, I think that's a very, very good inclusion. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a sneaky one. He kind of went under the radar. Um, so the yeah, radar he's done very well in Hearts. Anyway, I can see Antonis uh, yawning uh, his face off, um, which Long is extremely, day. which is extremely <laughs> rude, by the way. I mean, just wow. Uh, but. In all seriousness, uh, it is a long day. Um, and uh, yeah, where I am anyway, it's approaching 10 p.m. So uh, yeah, we are going to wrap this one up. Um, thanks once again to... Oh, Ian's got something he wants to say. Please keep this no, short. Just, just last one. <laughs> it's good to see Australia and New Zealand, New Zealand play a friendly game against each other after I think last time was 2010, I think in Adelaide Oval. And it's great to see the great man back on Aussie Shores today. Yes. Big Oh, Gracidic, yeah. Uh, Jeez, Ian, Ian, say, oh, yeah. my God. Ian, Sorry, you can't, you can't have second, paused on that. Are you serious? For, for, a, for a second, I thought you were talking about Chris Wood, like, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about some Kiwi player back on our shores. And you were who? And like, oh, Gus, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, just want to say I wish New Zealand showed some respect to that occasion by not hosting two rugby games, one is it a day or two before the match over there. But that's besides the point. Hopefully, no one gets hurt. <laughs> okay, we'll stop this before Antonio starts a round about the rugby games. <laughs> okay. Don't know All enough right. to run about uh, Thanks Thanks once again to um, to Adrian uh, Plastelica from Sydney United, the captain, uh, for joining us on the podcast uh, this evening as well. Uh, Antonis, Cody, and Ian, thanks for joining me uh, once again. That's where you Thank talk, you. guys, and you say, yeah, it was great <laughs> Thank to be you. on here. I loved it. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's me signing off. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you in the next one soon. Bye.